As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you, Why mad? you mad? Jake. Hi, Jake. Hello. What's up? Oh, you said hello first. Shaking <laughs> up our usual rhythm. I got I got to the to the thing first. Uh, how you doing? I'm good. I'm in work mode. I'm like doing tons of recording and stuff because I'm about to go out of town uh, to go do my fest shows in Florida. And <clears throat> it's like kind of came together last minute. And so I didn't really put together a tour. And so me and another comic are going to like just cannonball run down the East Coast like for 17 hours straight. And it's a thing I'm preparing for. So I'm right now getting work done and then when we get there i'm gonna go completely insane because of all the october halloween shit i've been talking about yeah 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 Yeah. who's the other comic uh anya volts will be doing a show in jacksonville after the fest too because anya is also on fest yeah yeah i know yeah yeah cool very cool i looked at it going but uh I've already got too many trips scheduled, so I can't really swing it. Uh, we've got a guest on the show today. If you read the description, you already know that. But hey, uh, welcome to the show, Brandon Collins. Brandon, hey. say hi. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's great to be back. Listening all the time. Love you guys. Yeah, love to have you back. That's so great. Hey, and I love back. that we're just going to have... With Brandon, you know, it's going to be just like an old school Let's Bitch About Comedy uh, episode. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, maybe a few <laughs> Harry Potter references in there. We can finally... Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, actually, I'm trying to make this a thing, but have any have either of you seen Into the Blue? No. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, have you seen it? Of course, you have a movie podcast. So it's a surf like movie, it. right? No, well, close. It's a diving movie. Starring a uh, dude who died from Fast and the Furious. What's his yeah, name? Yeah, Paul Walker, right? Paul, and, Paul uh, Walker and um, Jessica Alba. Yes, yes, I've seen it. Okay, yeah. Is that, is that the it's one where better they're better than like... fucking Fast and the Furious, Jake? Because you know what it is? Do you know what it is? Is it the one where it they're is... stranded in the middle of the ocean? No, this no. is the no. one where they are a couple, right? Like a sexy couple that lives in the Bahamas. And they, he's a diving instructor, dude, and sh- and he wants to be uh, finds a shipwrecks in the ocean guy, right? Scavenger? No, I don't know. Whatever those guys. <laughs> and then she is a marine life trainer at the fucking place where they keep the marine life, <laughs> whatever you get it okay. at the aquarium. And uh, one day when they were diving for wreckage, they find a wrecked airplane full of cocaine bricks. <laughs> oh, okay, hell yeah, and then problems ensue uh-huh. <laughs> it's so good hilarious and then there's a second part but it's really not good it's with some other shitty actors um but i'm trying to get people to watch that that's my thing uh and maybe it can replace harry potter no, no <laughs> probably not why but not both a girl can dream <laughs> you could watch both of those things and enjoy talking about jessica alba and paul walker and their cocaine heist and also what it, house they might be in in Hogwarts. <laughs> Rude. Yeah, man, I hope, I hope Jessica Alba's in Slytherin with that bikini. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. You're a self-described Slytherin, aren't you, Brandon? Yeah, man. I rub my... I rub, even though it's akin to be like a black Republican, I feel, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm down with it. I, I feel like they had the best parties. 
By far, they definitely had the best part is at Hogwarts. Yeah, I feel like self-described Slytherin is a wild thing because usually that's the thing that you would call someone else. So it's like very interesting when someone self-describes as like, no, I, I identify as kind of a <laughs> bastard. You know, it's cool. I mean, you're like an so anti-hero. Let me, let me ask you is this because I'm not as familiar with the houses, right? I have a general idea, I guess, right? But today, I also don't know anything about, uh, well... I, I don't know that much about D&D, but today, you know, when I don't know if this happens to you, but you're going to tweet something and then you're like, I'm going to fact check this <laughs> and you nope. Google it Never. and then you end up down like a fucking hole of like figuring shit out. Right. And learning new things. So mine today involved the idea that I wanted to call myself chaotic neutral. Oh, yeah. And then the Internet can't decide whether chaotic neutral is good or bad. Like. So I guess there are people who think that in D&D, a chaotic neutral character is a character that uh, will always put themselves first. And therefore they have like they go for like pleasure and self-realization over order and external approval and all that shit. But that to them means it's bad because they won't they're not likely to help someone. Right. But to the people who are like, that's good those people are not likely to be evil and they can still act good out of their own desire to and their own interest in being good. Right. So is that like Slytherin? <laughs> is Slytherin chaotic neutral? No, <laughs> is I what think, I'm asking. I think okay. Slytherin has a little bit of evil in it. So it's like, well, uh, it's okay. got, the, the, you know, it's because of the, the wizards that are associated with Slytherin. That's why mm. it has that. Because, you know, that's where Tom Riddle, you know, Voldemort went to, you know, that's the house he was in. Oh, it's uh, like a fraternity. The Malfoys. Yeah. Like, so it's like a lot of like the pure bloods. Yeah. Are in a Slytherin house. That's why people automatically are like Slytherin. They're all pieces of shit. But I, I just think that Slytherins are the ones that have fun. They're like, this is who I am. Take it or leave it. You know, like they probably do a dance like in Rent. That and, sounds uh, like chaotic, chaotic neutral to me. I disagree. Mm-hmm. My my take on Slytherin <laughs> is, since we are doing essentialism and uh, essentially <laughs> eugenics and fascism, we might as well mention astrology also. Slytherins oh, no. are... Uh, God, I hate this episode. I know. We'll get past this. But there's, uh, in astrology, people say like a Gemini, like all the Geminis are crazy. Like Trump was a Gemini and like Ooh. a lot of <laughs> bastards throughout history have been Geminis and it's because... Hey, I'm a Gemini. They're, ooh, uh, they're supposed to answer. Well, I'm you don't, right after you, but you don't believe mm-hmm. in it, Louisa. So you're fine. Well, uh, <laughs> so, <I'm> fine. <laughs> so it's not real. It doesn't apply. <laughs> I mean, you know what? One of my best friends is a Gemini, but he is exactly, I think embodied this thing, my friend Blake. Uh, and the thing I'd say about Blake is that he's a very good bartender. You know why? Because when you're a Gemini, your like ability to be duplicitous, like be two different people at any given time. Like you can be like really nice to some person that you're like serving a drink and you kind of mean it. And then you go back inside in the kitchen and you're like, fucking hate that guy to your friend. And you also mean it because you're just able to like embody all of this. Uh, y- you use like your personality as like a tool almost. And I think that's what a Slytherin is, which is not a bad thing. It just means that they're really good at um, like interpersonal, like using the interpersonal like as a, tool or as a system rather than like most people who have less control over it like don't know how to lie but sometimes lying is good like sometimes it's like it hurts it keeps people's feelings from getting hurt and stuff like that so i think it's a uh, you're almost like really good at speaking and you you but the, the bad way of looking at that is, is you're manipulative which i don't think this is chaotic neutral this is kind of no evil. that's not chaotic this is, is no? this is evil whatever 
Well, well not, that's not true because not if you have example, a feeble mind and we can trick you. <laughs> okay, that was evil, but that's not that's what I was unlawful say. evil. I know that's bad. I was gonna say no. Like, what about like a white lie? Right, when you lie to spare someone's feelings, right? Because it's it doesn't really matter whether or not you like tell them the exact truth about this shit. Then that is actually still manipulation because you're choosing to say something that is not true in order to elicit a particular response. It's just that we don't see positive manipulation as bad. We only see negative manipulation. So is that lawful evil or is that good? uh, uh, What's the other one? I'm fucking. No, then it's uh, no, it's like neutral. Sorry. It's chaotic, good, (laughs) neutral. No, sorry, chaotic. No, sorry, that's not it. Now I know how a bad man feels when the Riddler gives him a test. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, Jake. You know I smoked before this podcast. Hold on. I think I might have crossed the axes and fucked this entire up. Yeah, exactly. That's why I can't remember which one's on the. Here we go. Chaotic chart. There we go. Here, here we go. Okay. So the axes are. Uh, axes the standing up one. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Whatever. It's lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good. And then lawful, neutral, true, neutral, chaotic, neutral, and then lawful, evil, neutral, evil, chaotic, evil. So like Biden is lawful, evil. No. (laughs) Yeah, probably. This is all like the chaos theory from Jurassic Park. I'm thinking about dinosaurs right now. So, but of these, Biden. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna share my goddamn screen with you guys and show you this. Biden is lawful, evil. You said Griffin. I guess. So who Hold would on. Trump be then? Yeah, so he Trump's would be chaotic Slytherin. evil. Okay. He's art of the deal, baby. He's a Slytherin. He knows how to... Yeah. How to He's uh, a Slytherin, huh? Don't do that, too. Even though Malfoy <laughs> does look like Don Jr. Uh, really don't do, do that. <laughs> okay, chaotic neutral. Okay, I thought I was up here, but hmm, so neutral good, huh? I don't think he can be neutral good. Hmm. Do you think it's All right, weird? well, anyway, this just sent me into a whole kind of... Uh, rabbit hole this uh-huh. afternoon during my little five minute break from work i was like let me look at this and then i was like trying to place like comedians in this should we try to do that <laughs> in this uh of course little... and they're all yeah, so the... evil chaotic or whatever the fuck no they're oh, not some of them are <laughs> some of them are uh let's see oh because uh, somebody um that's messed up um I was going to say that somebody made fun of me today and made a funny joke, but I'm not going to share it anymore. Never mind. Um, the Let's see. It's like lawful good. But what's the difference between lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good? Right? So just think of like the good comment. No, we're going to hurt people's feelings. We're going to leave this one out. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. We're going to work this out later and then possibly share it on a Patreon episode. Boom. Uh, but anyway. Let's talk about what's been going on with you guys. So, Jake, you said you're going to okay. Fest. Oh, you yes. just skipped that whole section. I respect that. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. immediately we're like, nope, this person's. No, nope, we're not going to do this right now. <laughs> oh, OK. Because can I tell you this? This is something I had on the list to tell you last week and I didn't. And uh, Brandon, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because, um, you know, social media is a big part of the comedy game, <laughs> right? Of the comedy business world, however you want to call it, community um, in the sense of like, a lot of comics are still on Facebook, honestly, when they know that they shouldn't be because of this whole idea that like, oh, I can't get booked if I'm not. I won't be able to find people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then Twitter, a lot of comics hate fucking Twitter and it hurts their mental health and a lot of shit and they're not good at it, but they're still there. 
uh, Instagram, comics. Some comics spend too much time worrying about the posting, some not enough. Some spend too much time being mad at the ones to post too much. It's crazy, right? Like, it's all part of it. And for the most part, like, I feel like I've been, I don't want to say unaffected, because obviously all this consumption of media and opinions and shit affects all of us. But I mean, like, I have not felt super negative and addicted to any social media, right? Uh, Facebook, I realized I didn't enjoy it, period. Like, I was like, I have no reason to be still seeing photos from people I went to high school with and shit. I don't know you anymore. We're not the same kind of people. We don't keep in touch. Like, why why am I looking at this? Sounds like a 2000s Jagged Edge song. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I'm probably going to go check one out that'll match my feelings. <laughs> so I got off like three years ago, I think, and it's been fine. I don't miss it. It's fantastic. Um, and then Instagram, I just don't really use it that much. I'm not that, vis- that much of a visual person. I don't really care. It doesn't, whatever. I don't even look at it that much. And then Twitter, I've always liked it, you guys. I know all the things that are bad with it. And I think everybody who needs to take a break from it should take a break with it from it, I, sh- I guess. Um, but I recently don't enjoy it anymore. And it's not because of me. <laughs> it's because of other people. So, like, uh, it's not other people's opinions. It's not the discourse. It's not any anything like that. It has actually been that I have had more than like half a dozen negative interactions with people I know in the real world mm. because they read a tweet of mine and they assumed that it was about them. And it, it like legit, not even in one case, what <laughs> was it about them? And, uh, you know, if there's six who were willing to fucking come to me and be like, oh my God, this hurt my feelings. Is this about me? And have this whole conflict. That means there's even more who probably think other of my tweets are about them and they're just like sad or butthurt or angry or hate me, but are like still following me or muted me or whatever. And then just like smile politely at me when they see me, but then they're like, ah, Luis is such a bitch, (laughs) you know, like, and it's just got me in my head about the fact that like, if I weren't on Twitter and I didn't enjoy getting drunk and stoned and tweeting some fucking shit that I think is funny, um, then I would, I wouldn't be putting myself in these social interactions where a, I'm hurting people's feelings and B I'm getting really angry at the fact that people have, think they have the right to police how mm-hmm. I publicly speak. So it's making me hate them back. <laughs> you get me? And so I don't know. I haven't been tweeting that much. And sometimes I open it up and I give it a shot and I'm like, Oh, I wish I could enjoy it again. Have a couple cocktails after work and get in there and have some opinions. Well, and I just fucking don't. It's been like a month of low tweeting for me. Yeah, I mean, for me, Twitter is an interesting place just because of all the different people I interact with on Twitter. So I'm part of like film critic circles. So I got like film Twitter. Obviously, I'm black, so I'm on black Twitter. And then, you know, I have comic Twitter. Then you have like radio Twitter, which mm-hmm. is like people from Bobby Kelly and Kumia days and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like this wide spectrum of things that are just in my feed or who interacts with me. And I've had very few like negative like interactions on Twitter to where I have to block someone or like mute them. And yeah. So I, I just have a different experience on, on Twitter than you have, obviously, especially the past. Yeah. Year. More than a year, dude. Um, but the funny thing is like, you know, I don't think I'm an edgelord. I'm not fucking really trying to piss anybody off or do anything like 
uh, you know, I make fun of trads because to me, traditional thinking and anything in personal areas or professional fields and all of that is, is literally the dominant ideology of our society. That's what traditionalism means. So I like to make fun of it. It is punching up for me, a person who tries to live not traditionally in as many ways as I can, right? Uh, I make fun of tall people because I think it's funny that it's traditionally seen to be sexy to be tall, even though it's a really useless attribute. Has anyone got mad about that? (laughs) About the tall thing? Yeah. Only in so far as to like reply to a tweet and be kind of like, oh, hurt a little bit. But I think they're joking. Like nobody's ever unfollowed me over it. But I've had people unfollow me about the trad stuff and text me about whether it's about them Mm. and reply publicly or like DM me and say that, you know, I'm like judging the kind of poly they are (laughs) or that, you know, like crazy. You know, I had uh, I think I mentioned on the show, but I had uh, the day that Texas um, made it made abortion virtually illegal. Uh, You know, a bunch of women all across media, just like the type of women who use Twitter, basically, were on Twitter telling their stories of their abortions. And they were always these stories, like the ones I read, which were not just from comics, were stories that were uh, very much in like moralizing language where they were like, ooh, if I tell my story, then you'll this will humanize me and you'll see that like a girl just like your daughter could need an abortion. You know what I mean? And the problem, and I made a tweet to the effect of I, it sucks. I think it sucks that we have to come to this conversation every time women are treated um, as less than human in the legal sense, because this conversation shouldn't be couched in words of morality or deservingness or means, what is it, means testing of abortions. It should be only spoken about in medical and legal terms, period, right? So I just make a fucking tweet to that effect. And a, a woman comic totally, you know, like got upset at me publicly. and was just like, and she kind of jokingly was like, oh yeah, I guess this one's about me. Oh no, because then she like DM'd me. <laughs> That's what happened. So she DM'd me saying, you know, that she thought this was about her and that I was like basically subtweeting that I thought her, her sharing of her story was stupid, you know? And I explained it to her in the DMs and then I made a joke about how like everybody thinks my tweets are about them. And she replied being like, oh, this one's about me, everyone, don't worry. Joking, you know, trying to like release the tension of like, she gets it, it wasn't really about her. And then a male comic, Ian Fidance, <laughs> a fucking idiot, like replies to that exchange between uh, me and her, where we obviously were joking at each other in a way where like we already handled this in the DMs, you yeah, know? What did he have to say about this? And he fucking jumps in, Jake, and he immediately starts attacking me about the fact that I was, quote, gatekeeping women and the way that they have their abortions. That guy's okay? a fucking idiot. First of all, who the fuck am I gatekeeping? Who am I keeping from sharing any story? How am I stopping anyone from having any any ability or platform or anything for sharing their story? So that there is no gatekeeping going on. I think he meant policing, but also not policing. I am a woman who has had an abortion. Therefore, I am also allowed to say what my opinion is about what happened in Texas and about how women and people in general are talking about abortions in the media. Who the fuck are you, Ian? He literally, so then it turns out somebody DMs me and was like, oh, he also tweeted a story about when he, I guess, had an abortion with a partner or something. (laughs) So I guess he's like putting himself in the category of like, he's also a person who has the right to share his story. But somehow I am not. He also didn't call you the police because he likes the police, which is. 
yeah, that's had a positive true. Exactly. Thing. No. And then when I tried to say, you know, like I tried to correct him without correcting him. So I'm like, are you trying to say that I'm policing people's language? He fucking flipped out. And he's like, why are you always trying to twist my words and bring the police into this? I didn't say anything about the police. I'm like, what the fuck <laughs> yeah, is no, happening right now? Are you? <laughs> are you crazy? So this is what I mean yes. about like other people are ruining my enjoyment of Twitter. <laughs> and it's making me think. Is it worth it after all? And well, then I just like I just, I'm starting. I guess I'm starting to get why people make burner accounts. Totally. I just interject yeah. one thought about this. I, whenever I think about you describing this sort of stuff, I think the one thing that you're probably not like aware of from your own point of view is that all this stuff happens to everyone on Twitter, but it's like happening and it's ratcheted up extra between you yeah. and comedians because they're projecting all sorts of stuff onto you and have all these expectations and see you as like a means to an end and somebody who would be advantageous to network with and stuff like that. Which is why it's always hilarious to me when I'm hanging out with you and someone like comes up to you, I can see it in their eyes. They're like trying to do a thing and then you'll just, you're a genuine person. So you'll say something that completely just takes the wind out of whatever f- argument they were trying to like rope you into also. And they'll get extra <laughs> offended because they're yeah. like, well, you've betrayed this idea that I set up in your head where you were go- you and me are going to have the same opinion or whatever. It's fucking crazy. The, the stand-up comedy is a death cult and people are like projecting all sorts of stuff onto you like you're one of the guards in Squid Game or something or like a fucking yeah. uh, someone in Scientology that, you know, if you get enough Thetans out of, they give you superpowers or whatever. So it's totally, but then if I don't do or I do or say something they don't like, then I am an open mic booker who's a loser, failed comedian. <laughs> yeah, that's how they get right to, you know, discount you. Yeah, exactly. But it's still funny. Come on, I'm a failed comedian, you guys. Yeah, no, you can tell uh, the, the neurosis is going on with people when they're wildly inconsistent about stuff like that. People that hate yeah. me on the internet, it's like I'm either a loser pizza delivery guy or I'm super successful from, like, cannibalizing comedians and, like, you know, yeah. I networked my way to the top. The top of what? Like, you know? But it's that you can tell someone's gone completely insane when they have that like paradox going on where they're you're just both things to them. It's fucking crazy because both those things are rationalizations about how they just feel about you, which is, you know, you're right. It's probably a byproduct of this sick, twisted app that is unnatural that we weren't meant to use. Yeah. I mean, like even to give you an example of the in the other direction, actually, this week I also ran into um, at a comics going away thing. I ran into a comic who I unfollowed on everything because one time uh, someone else that we both know said something shitty about me on Twitter and I, me and that person, we're going to like get into it or whatever. And then this third person liked the original person's tweet. Yeah, I've done that. So I looked at the, at the likes and I was like, Oh bitch. So you don't like me. I didn't know. I thought you're always so nice to me. But fine, you're going to like this tweet. I'm going to unfollow you and everything. We're not friends anymore. And then I like ran into her at this fucking thing. And I'm like, oh, right, right. I forgot that I'm mad at you about that thing that I'm not really that mad about, but I'm not going to like refollow you. <laughs> so it's like unnatural human interactions happening. You understand me? <laughs> Yo, you want to hear a funny one that's kind of like yeah. that that I did recently? I uh, at one point, I think I got pissed off and I unfollowed a bunch of people and was doing a thing where I was like, I'm just going to unfollow everyone who's friends with like the skanks or something like that or like does a festival. And then I got halfway through it and I realized like this plan doesn't really it's inconsistent. (laughs) I I like some of these people, but I exactly. But I had already unfollowed this one comic. 
And, and then you're just like, fuck it. What's done is done. Well, the thing is, I thought about it for like a year because I was like, if I refollow, she's going to see the little notification that yes. lets Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I've I already said it was a woman. Like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't follow a lot of comics uh, after like last year, like with yeah. the, the George Floyd stuff and hell yeah. yeah. The responses to Chappelle stuff. I'm like, we can't always be like the police where we're like brothers in arms, like we yeah. defend each other. It's like, you know, sometimes no, sometimes there's some problematic shit. So yeah, you're right. I, I recently that yeah. follow me still. I yeah, that. I recently unfollowed a comic who, um, man, used to be like a kind of like an art alt scene darling. Did a little tiny bit of a club crossover, and now their entire like all their video output, you know, across social media is basically like uh, videos about comics getting canceled and about their language being policed yeah. and about people coming for them. And it's like, how did you get here? How, what the fuck? Oh, they caught this the bug. It's, a, yeah. it's an inevitable end point if people yeah. go, fought, pursue something like comedy enough and don't grow with it like a worldview that explains that you you know no one's entitled to like success in this weird art form etc yeah. and so forth you know if you don't do anything but comedy for 10 years straight you will become an angry anti-cancel culture anti-woke person especially if you're white <laughs> oh yeah totally so let me ask you about this and um, you won't have the awareness to realize oh Let's look at yeah. all the people that share the same viewpoint <laughs> in this room. Step back. Yeah. yeah. What similarities do we have? <laughs> well, you just want to have like, the yeah. entitlement to like being a first class citizen, which is what everyone, you know, the goal at the end of a career kind of is. But with white people, it's like the the the, the, the entitlement is there more. I feel like everyone else, further you're out on the margins, there's just you're like, no, I, we were already down here. There's no big great drop from a height that like. You know, it looks tragic to me or yeah. whatever. But it can happen. I mean, I don't know. Uh, today I saw a viral tweet uh, that I want to ask you guys about <laughs> because uh, the viral tweet was just basically something to the effect of like, do you guys remember when everybody was saying that post pandemic was going to be like the roaring 20s? Uh, you guys remember that? Oh, uh, yeah, kind of vaguely. They're like, yeah. People being like, yeah, once we have vaccines and shit, everybody's going to be fucking, everybody's going to be out in the streets dancing and all that shit. Uh, obviously not the case in so many ways. Um, and I guess I wanted to bring this up because, like I said, this week I went to a comics going away thing. Um, and I mean, I guess for everyone who's there, you're going to know <laughs> who I'm talking about and stuff. But like, you know, it's no shade on anybody. It's just that it was a very uh, enlightening experience because the very same dark cloud that I was seeing like during the pandemic when like at the beginning, cause we're still in the pandemic, but like the, at the beginning when we didn't yet know everything about it and vaccines were not on the horizon yet and everybody was trapped in their house and people were having to go back home to their families or stay somewhere cheaper or safer and straight up leaving New York and having to think about whether or not to quit comedy and all this shit. Like, yeah, we're still there. It's a year later. And that is still where we are. Like the the all the comics that were at this shit, like, you know, I would say that there was maybe one who uh is like, I don't know, it's that like you would be surprised if this comic was like, I'm gonna leave New York or I'm gonna quit comedy. 
but everyone else was having conversation who I talked to, I should say, let me not generalize, was having fucking feelings and conversations and, and thoughts about like how it hasn't been good for a long time, even before the pandemic, how they weren't like, even once things started to reopen, they were not sure what there was to return to. Um, there, you know, there was someone I talked to who left during the pandemic to help a family member and then was like ready to come back to Brooklyn. And then it was like, honestly, why should I? So they just chose to go somewhere else. <laughs> and so then it's like, uh, then someone else who, who like works in a, with another comic as a partner, the partner moved to another city already. Like, so then I was asked about Stick or Treat, right? And uh, because a few of the comics who were there are, you know, often performers of Stick or Treat. And I will say none of them submitted this year. Thank you so much. So it's funny because then they were like, you know, what happened? How come you guys canceled? So sad because uh, I keep giving more and more information that the party was on the day that I should have been at Stick or Treat. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Everybody, you can just like be like fucking what's his face from uh, Always Sunny and put yeah, all the strings together. If you want um, to, you can figure it out. But um, Stick or Treat, like basically, you know, uh, I didn't want to do it, I guess, since like the summer. But then I worked out something with the hosts and owners of the show where we would uh, like rearrange the way that we split the money so that we could pay everyone and pay the photographer more and make it something that would really be every, worth everybody's time because of how difficult this year has been. And the fact that like, you know, COVID is still out there, even if we're vaccinated and the venue's checking it, it's still like not the greatest, safest thing for you to go be in a fucking green room with 30 or 40 people, um, all that shit, right? And so we announced it. And if I am frank and I accept all of my responsibility as a bad producer, <laughs> I didn't promote it as much as I did in previous years. Like, you know, I emailed a lot of people. I posted it a few times, but I didn't fucking really like do it a bunch of times. And I'll say neither did the hooks, honestly. And um, we're like two weeks out of the show. And I was like, you know, in past years, uh, the lineup is pretty much decided by uh, September 30th. And usually I get over 200 submissions and I pick about 45 to 50 performers. Usually I pick 45 and then a few get added like the week before the show who are like the stragglers who are like begging, please. And then they have a good idea. So they get put, in, you know, um, this year, you guys, we got 26 submissions. Okay. And I share that because, you know, like, I think it's especially like some of the comments I talked to this week that keep hearing from people like I really wanted to, but like, I couldn't even think of a thing because one, one comic said to me like, well, think about what has happened in comedy in the last year or two or even three, like nothing happy nothing good. <laughs> it's just fucking rapists and people mad about gender shit and fucking racist and white supremacists. I'm like, nothing good. So are we supposed to have this whole show that the entire parody is just pointing out all the fucking fucked up shit that made us sad and mad and upset all year long and for the last two years, honestly? So then we had somebody, like one person. So it was like 26 submissions, okay? Uh, three of them were from the same person, so they can only <laughs> do one. Uh, three of them were for the same act, so we can only pick one of those. And then one was 
straight up like, hey, can I do the thing I did last time? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you can't. We don't do that. <laughs> so literally we had probably like 15 ads. You know what I mean? Damn. And so like I reached out to the hosts. And sorry, you guys, I hope this isn't some kind of confidentiality breach, but whatever, you know who you're working with. So um, I just like reached out to the host and I was like, man, look, it's looking bleak. Like, I just don't think from talking to performers that everybody's like back up to 100 percent and feeling in a good place where they want to like poke fun at comedy. No. Um, so what we could do is all three of us could like double down on the actual promotions, start sending out some emails, reach out to past people that we've loved and like personally ask them to think about submitting for the show. Or we could just call it now. And they agreed we could we should just call it now and come back strong next year and see if we can do something about this. And it was like pretty sad because uh, I talked to Mindy, the photographer. I don't think she would mind me just saying this, which is like she is obviously very busy and she has a lot on her plate and she doesn't make enough money for the amount of hours that she puts into everything that she does for photography and comedy. So even when we pay her what we would pay her for a sticker treat, it takes up a lot of her fucking time. It's 50 acts. It's a three hour show often. It's like a lot of fucking work. And so for her, it's a good thing to take a sticker treat off her plate. But she was like, it just makes me so sad that we don't seem to have a unified thing in New York stand up anymore where we all show up there and we all love that. And, you know, people will show up after their spots and people are going to share video and photos the next day. And it's the hot shit. We're talking nothing. We don't have a single thing, not a club, not a big show. You know, there's um, a couple of big shows in Brooklyn that are like legacy shows, I guess, but I don't know that they have um, exciting discourse or feeling around them. Well, it makes it feel any know? better. I keep hearing from people in L.A. that it's like also a, a mess. Also that there. Yeah, I've heard that, too. I think the only cohesive um, scene left in the country is this weird new Austin shit where everyone's <laughs> running the circuit of, uh, you know, the new comedy, which is pretending that you're a millionaire and you're mad about fucking Austin. cancel culture or whatever. Uh, well, OK, so they're doing that there. But that's what I mean. So. So I was wrong and I was right about my prediction, okay? Because at the beginning of the this pandemic shit, my prediction was that the clubs would tighten up and like only want to book their biggest names, most solid people because they have to repay their people with spots and they want to try to get the most people in their seats, especially if they have limited capacity. And that this was the alt scenes time to shine. Like we are the ones prepared we were the ones prepared to put up all these shows and come up with new things and find a new, find new spaces and whatever. And what I was wrong about is the clubs because what they've done is actually figured out that this is the perfect time for them to poach the alt because everybody is like worried about the future of their career mm. more than they are about the integrity of their art. And because of that, you know, I mean, the cellar is a place that all comics always want to go, uh, even though they'll admit to like not enjoying it, not being able to work out there, feeling weird, hanging out. It's still something that you want on your resume. So they, they're doing that. And the seller is aware, you know, they're, they're smart. They're aware that these people are available and that it's in their best interest to keep uh, getting younger comics in there. Um, and then the stand is doing the thing of like uh, all outside produced shows, basically. So they're giving almost mm. any comic that wants to show their own show. 
And therefore, the booking is now not done for most shows that are not house sh- for any show that is not a house show. The booking is not done by Patrick, the booker at the stand, but by the um, hosts of those shows, the producers of those shows. In some cases, the the club will ask them to put on one or two people that they want them to have spots that yep, they didn't have enough. Yeah, that they don't have enough house show spots for. Um, so it's that that thing. So that when people say like, "How are you compromised by working at the stand?" For example, that's how you're compromised. You might have to have somebody on your show that you didn't want on your show. Nope. <laughs> you that's might have exactly to be upstairs. What happened to us? Yeah, you might have to be upstairs from a show full of a bunch of shit that you would never want anybody in your audience to associate you with. Um, and they save money by not having to pay comic spot pay. Because a lot of these shows are basically bar shows, so they'll give the producers drink tickets, and then it's up to the producers to pay their comics out of their door cut if they make a door cut, you know? Um, So it's a thing where if, like, they don't sell enough to whatever minimum or the situation is with the club, then they don't, nobody gets paid, right? Except the club, right? Um, so I don't know. What do you think is my, my projection to bleak? I mean, I'm just experiencing more and more of conversations with people. I guess we're seeing the end, but I should say it's almost like an acceleration of the end that should have come for them anyway. (laughs) It's going to be mean to some people, but I see other people being really into what they do and like flourishing more and producing more content or shows or being into it. So it's not everyone. I don't know. What do you guys see? I mean, the, the comedy world's been, it was already like fractured and like broken a little bit in the New York scene. And then I think the past year and a half just exasperated it because it became like, if you're not with us on this side, you're against freedom of speech. But then on the other side, it's like, they're like, oh, but you can't call us racist and bigoted and uh, close-minded. It's, I I think it's a, it was inevitable, right? Like when you just think about all these people that are now starting to pop or find their own fringe audiences and stuff like that, it's like, oh, this is all in the works years ago. Yeah. It's just all bubbling up now. Right. Like that's why like my closest friends in comedy, they don't really rely on stand up comedy anymore to, to make ends meet or to fulfill them. They're doing a bunch of different stuff that like gets their creative um, drive going and it's not stand up anymore. I think that's happening to a lot of people. The people that, we're like starting out when I started like wrapping up producing stand-up comedy shows that are now like running their own shows and seems like they're getting a lot of spots within the same circle, you know, like those open micers. Yeah. I'm like, you guys are probably all doing this still after a few years, like free labor. You're not getting any kind of cut from the venue. And that's also bad for comedy too, because you don't want people to be paying, but you're not making any money. And then they're like, this comedy sucks. I I hate New York comedy. Yeah. yeah. Well, the only way to maintain any personal integrity, I think, is to have comedy not be your main thing, at least like no. financially, because like th- there's very little room for people to actually be a professional comedian in the way that we saw on fucking Seinfeld and stuff back yeah. in the day, where people were just living in apartments in New York and paying for it by <laughs> doing spots constantly. Fucking impossible, right? Yeah. Um, but there's a myth of that, and as long as there's a myth of that, there's a bunch of people that will do shows for fucking free at places like The Stand because they think it's like on the way towards that or something. And then yeah. within that, I think 
The, Sorry to pause to interrupt you, but also the, some of those people um, ha, are underwritten, perhaps by rich parents or other things that make it so they can do free spots all the time. Yeah, totally. But I, I don't. Even if you're like, even if, people that are rich to begin with that have like a a really kind of just a fake life where you can live in New York and do be a professional open micer, yeah. still have like time working against them, and I I think it still helps heighten this like precarious situation they're in where like you know what's the term like heightened contradictions like you're saying brandon about how everything these battle lines were already drawn and they just became like more uh what do you call it like boldened or obvious or whatever or like undeniable that stuff i i use you even see it in people who where you look at them and you go you have money like you don't have to be doing this but it's like well they still have the dream though you know and in order to pursue it now because the economic base of all this shit has fallen out. Like, yeah, those people still have to go fucking work at the stand or whatever, or else quit, which is yeah. you know, death to part of their fucking mind. Which I think well, you just you get a fucking job and chill. You could still make whatever you <laughs> want. Like, I, I know I've beat this to death on this podcast, but like, be a punk yeah. musician. You can just be a person that makes art and isn't all fucked up about whether it's validated by you know whether you're doing the institutions it. Yeah. yeah exactly that's true it's pretty not punk rock to be worried about the institutions fucking signing off on you but embrace uh, being a loser that's fun too you yeah know? Fuck it. exactly which uh, we're not gonna whatever Chappelle later but um <laughs> it's funny because what both of you were saying made me realize that oh it kind of fixed it for me in my head um it is sad that it has fractured in new york but when you said Austin is one of the ones where it seems to be functioning, I was going to say Denver just had high planes and Denver seems to have shows and things going on. But also, these are small towns in comparison to us. Yeah. Not to be fucking rude. I'm not being rude. Yeah. Okay. But we are literally like five cities right next to each other that all have their own fucking seats, uh, <laughs> scenes. And that before we were so limited that there could be these like huge shows that were like people in Staten Island heard about this show in Brooklyn or you came from the Bronx, but that just, we got so big that that doesn't exist anymore. But at this moment, there are shows in the Bronx and in Harlem and a bunch of comics that people in Brooklyn don't book and don't know. And that the clubs don't book and don't know in us in Astoria, there's two kinds of comics. There's the comics who live in Astoria because it's affordable, but only perform in Manhattan and then there are the comics who live in Astoria and only perform in Astoria where the shows take place, but there's no photographer. So it's in a black hole and nobody knows you're performing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then in Brooklyn, Brooklyn has even gotten so big that it has fractured into three different parts, four even of its own, which is Bushwick is the, I would say the main hub of where comedy is now in Brooklyn because of the fact that most comics who live in Brooklyn live in Bushwick um the second then there's the park slope comics which i actually call them that as like a click because they sound the same they talk about the same things and they have the same audiences who are into <laughs> that uh no offense if you're a park slope comic but you know who you are this uh, sounds like the warriors <laughs> you know, yeah exactly uh <laughs> like yeah Bushwick then there's williamsburg which is park uh, 
Yeah, Williamsburg is just like it's got some of the uh, legacy shows and venues. And so the people who either like somehow through a fucking rent control building or a rich boyfriend or a rich mom <laughs> managed to live there. And the people who still have connections with the old established shows and venues there perform there. And then there's Crown Heights slash bed where there are some black rooms and black clubs that pre- periodically pop in and out and do big shows and then there are some other like alti, by which I mean like whiter, I guess, or not black <laughs> uh, shows that also pop up here and there. So it's more of like a just budding kind of a little tiny scene over here. Um, but fucking Austin and Denver, they couldn't possibly just name seven different fucking specific scenes in their five mile radius. You know what I mean? So maybe it's just natural that we would fracture and we should no longer expect that we have anything in common with Manhattan. Well, what about like that time, you know, like the days of cabin, right? Like what made that so different? Because there was people in similar career trajectories that others are now. It's just a little bit more extreme because of the political climate. Right. But eight years ago, I felt like the New York comedy scene was really dope. Everyone was rooting for each other. It wasn't this like cutthroat. Um, incredibly sensitive on both sides kind of shit like it's well it was numerically smaller first of all second of all it's more concentrated because there weren't burgeoning scenes in the boroughs so the alt was focused on the lower east side and so that means there were like multiple shows oh, on the, yeah, lo- like the lower east side including and, and also like clubs yeah there oh, was yeah. and also clubs Yep. So, and then on top of that, the East Village is not that far cab-wise from every other club in Midtown down. So Cabin was perfectly located and happened to have the right combination of hosts who were connected in the sense of like, came in alt, but started to succeed into club shit very quickly. So, and worked the road, let me not leave that out, so that it became kind of a hub where the local comics wanted to get up there because it meant something. The comics who worked the clubs or who were visiting the city working the clubs wanted to get there too and heard about the hang and went went there after their spots at clubs and other shows. And uh, people who were visiting the city would reach out to the hosts and, and say like, hey, let me do your show. So you would get the people who were at Gotham and who were at Caroline's coming down to also do Cabin. So it was a very specific location based and like who the people were and the fact that there were no other burgeoning scenes like you know like when I had uh, Dave Attell at the Knitting Factory you guys uh, first of all I had to pay for his cab I because he that. didn't he want to come to Brooklyn <laughs> yeah so Brooklyn. like I'm like texting him and he's like at the cellar and he's like ah I mean technically I could make it but I don't know Brooklyn's so far and I'm like I will fucking pay for your cab so I like, it's he's like, New okay, York. so I sent, I know, dude. So <laughs> I send him a car. He fucking comes to Brooklyn. He, it's a show in the back room. It's packed more than 250 people. He kills, he does like a 20 minute set and he gets off stage and he just walks up to me and he's like, God damn, I hadn't done comedy in Brooklyn in 11 years. I had no idea there were shows like this out here. That's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, why, why had David tell? not left Manhattan? Because there weren't shows like that for a long time in Brooklyn. So the fact that something developed in Manhattan and it was so focused and it was easy for everybody to find each other there 
was because there wasn't anything else going on. And then as we fra- we grew, we naturally fractured. So I guess, you know, if I'm going to embrace, embrace change, I can't be sad about the fracturing. I mean, I moved my show two blocks from my house. So I am definitely participating in the fracturing. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's weird. I, I came to New York kind of in the middle of uh, the cabin thing. And like, I guess I hadn't really thought about it on a large scale, but it looks like the big picture is New York comedy is just like one of those things that's really sad. Cause it was a, like it was, it almost turned into something great. And then it's just over now. <laughs> like it was on its way to being this thing where there's this fucking, huge I don't think connected. so. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to put this in a positive light, which I'm going to hearken back to a young Louisa, which is, um, I used to bemoan the fact that, uh, Comedy is not like music, right? Like people don't go, hey, do you want to go see a musician tonight? <laughs> and then like agree with no information like they do for a comedian. Right. Uh, they don't just say like, oh, my God, I love music. Nobody says that, right? <laughs> like people do with comedy. They're like very specific. They know their genres. Even if they don't know other genres, they know what they like. You know what I mean? Comedy fans really did not used to be like that. And I think they're getting better. Um But if what I was upset with before was the fact that everybody kept thinking of comedy as a monolith and every time getting upset whenever they walked into the room and what they were presented with didn't match up with their one singular experience of comedy before this, then the opposite side of that coin is that the good thing is that more people have become aware of different types of comedy. And there are people who specifically want to go see this Park Slope fucking wet napkin comedy. And there are people that want to go see the Manhattan semi-racist anti-women comedy. And there are people who want to go fucking see, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about in the story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So... And in New Jersey, New Jersey also has shows and like several fucking venues popping up. Like... So maybe this is the good thing and it's actually better for New York comedy that it's not going to be considered this monolith thing where comics will even be pressured into being like, why aren't you like X? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of true. Cause like there are some cool shows that I, that I'm into that are happening in like Brooklyn that are like, it feels different. Like I wouldn't go to this show that's at a punk bar and think like, this is going to be an, a pathway into more comedy it's more like oh i'm gonna find out what other weird shit these people at <laughs> yeah. this are doing which is like they're also doing an indie wrestling league and a fucking yeah you know other uh, the, the, uh, they have a band and they've like t- you know it's connected to like other yeah. art forms and shit and like that's that's cool and that's that that possibility has always been there but the way that comedy gets into people's minds and like reduces things has always been really heartbreaking to me because I've always been like I mean fucking I called it on this show a few months ago I was like watch Sarah squirm she does something mm-hmm. different than comedians and then bam look at her she's on fucking SNL now man so hopefully they uh, don't ruin her for you Jake uh well, jury's out we'll or for see. everyone I mean yeah <laughs> no, no comment just yet <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding I hear they're both doing great her and James Austin James they're very uh, funny. I don't want your show but I wish them the best love them uh, hate SNL don't know what else to say yeah you know? Brandon so you produce uh you're still doing your podcast actively right so I'm still doing medium popcorn which is a yeah. movie review podcast um, love it I've been on it, it. We yes. talked about the net. Up, uh, 
my Doug podcast again. It's just okay. the most painful thing because I have to rewatch Doug, and I used to love that show. Yeah, but as an adult, I'm like, oh, I love this because I'm neurotic, and uh, <laughs> I can identify with Doug, who's incredibly annoying. Yeah, um, and then I have Drunk Black History, but we stopped doing the podcast once we started doing in person shows again. Okay, because um, we did the podcast just to kind of placate people and like keep them warm for when we did go back to in person, and now that we're yeah. back in person, we do live stream, but. Uh, we pulled back from that, but we have um, our Halloween show coming up that we're really excited about. Yeah, so you have the Halloween show coming up, and you already did one before this, right? At least one. Yeah, we did one last year. We did yeah. a, a Halloween theme, but it was on Oh, Zoom. but before the pandemic? Oh, it was on Zoom. It, it was, so this is going to be your first yeah. live after the pandemic. No, no. Our first live one was uh, for Juneteenth this year. We oh, did Juneteenth. That's what I was talking about. I went to that one. That's why. Yeah, we, I was like, we went I know to the I went house. to that. And then this yeah. is our newest one we 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 went to the, with this venue caveat just because it's a little bit smaller than the bell house yeah. like we're gonna like we would save some like the bell house for february when we know we're gonna sell out like we sold out that june team show yeah a week before like the show like we yeah. were we were good to go so this one's like oh yeah we'll go for a smaller venue um but i will say like it, the challenge in new york especially as like a black producer is that you have to really really like pitch hard in order to get venues to look at you um, and I experienced that with comedy outliers, like when we had to wow. change venues yeah. because of various things with owners. Um, it was it was really tough, like to the point where uh, I remember Mike Brown and I, we actually created a fake show and we did gave we gave like essentially the show that was called <laughs> I think it was called like cheese sticks. And Mike Feeney, comedian Mike Feeney was the face of it. Like we created an email oh account, <laughs> his headshot. He was in all the promotional. And did like, that get did that get? responses it didn't it like it actually was one okay, of those because, things where it didn't prove okay. my point but it was just hilarious like <laughs> yeah just, i essentially just gave this this cheese stick show started this white dude all the credentials that comedy outliers had <laughs> like you know comedy hours is me and yeah. mike brown two black guys and so i was like oh yeah they're gonna get back to me and i'm gonna be able to be like oh you're gonna respond to this guy but not me <laughs> and then no one responded to either one i was just like oh okay oh, this is what i was gonna tell you i'm glad that your like experiment that. proved my point which is that uh comedy is the red-headed stepchild of entertainment mm. uh it is i want to say that it was invented literally to go between acts of other comedy I mean, of other arts. Yeah, no, it came out of like vaudeville and like the fucking yeah. lounge show. Or shit even if you the... think like the jester shit, it's like in between while they load the fucking projector. <laughs> and like, um, and so at least I can tell you in New York City venues, uh, you know, I worked for a knitting factory for a lot of years and I was basically their comedy booker because they're primarily a music venue. And I would say this is probably the case with the comedy booker at the at Littlefield, at like most places. Uh, there is a booker who books music, which has a higher turnout, like percentage usually than comedy and a higher ticket price. Um, so and people who drink more hmm, go to see music more than people who go to comedy. So any venue would rather fill in their calendar, like literally where I have my show right now is a music venue. And it's a diff- my show is a different day of the month every month because first they book all of their comedy acts and dance shows. I mean, I'm sorry, music acts and dance nights. And then they offer the leftover nights to comedy people. And even uh, free shows that have like free, I'm sorry, bars that have free comedy 
most shows are on Wednesdays and Tuesdays because those are bars of slowest nights. Yeah. And they've already tried music and trivia and karaoke and game night. Yeah. So now they're going to try comedy. No, comedy is the last thing a bar sees before it dies. It's, yeah. It's blacking out. <laughs> it's like, maybe this will save yeah. me. Then... But after that depressing thing, caveat, um, the good thing about it is uh, it is um, not to be a fucking representation lib over here, but it's run by some nice women uh, and queer people and they don't book racists or rapists. Um, so it's generally a well-regarded venue that people enjoy and people and like performers enjoy performing at. So yeah, I did a live show on you guys. Speaking of venues that uh, allow for that, yeah. I legitimately during the pandemic looked into what it would take for me to rent out the UCB East mm-hmm. location, like and open up my own comedy club. I was like yeah. seriously contemplating that before I ended up buying a house because I'm like, I'm I used to be so in love with producing stand up comedy, and between the pandemic and then seeing that comics are actually worse. Yeah, <laughs> less reliable than they used to be. Yeah, it's just like not like not only do am I trying to pay you, but you're also like making it seem like I'm asking you a, like a view of the world for you to do a <laughs> ten minute set to get fifty bucks. Like, yeah, fuck out of here. I, I work too hard to like during my day job and other yeah. shit to have to deal with. Like, I don't like the. The most famous stand-up comics I know are the nicest people in the world. I know. All the other fuckers right below that that are the Unbearable. Unbearable. I literally, before we started recording, I'm just going to tell myself right now. I told Brandon, I was like, uh, I kept working on, like, my digital data work for my, like, day job up until 8 p.m. Instead of sending out the show order for my show, which is tomorrow, casual sets, 8 p.m. at Friends and Lovers. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Because I just like couldn't bear the thought of immediately starting to get all the replies that are like, oh my God, can I go earlier? Because I have another spot. Or can I switch with so-and-so? Because blah, 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 blah. Or actually, it turns out I'm, I'm sick and I didn't tell you even though this was fucking booked three weeks ago. <laughs> like, uh, so annoying. No offense to anybody who's booked. I look forward to hearing your need to change your spot. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like, um, I mean, not to be super depressing, but I've had a lot of... Uh, fun going to shows in some cases recently i'm not having fun doing anything related to the work of comedy but i'm it doesn't mean you know i'm gonna quit or be out of it forever but it's i'm definitely pulling back at least for the rest of 2022 yeah i was definitely pulling back a lot i did go to dc uh and i was like you know uh at the dc improv and a few other independent shows in in dc for the weekend and I will say, I saw some really, really funny people that are outside of New York yeah. that kind of rejuvenated like the the initial love I have for stand up because I love think that. I know too many New York comics where it impacts my ability to fully enjoy shows now. Like, yeah, you just said like you enjoy going to shows, and I'm like, I haven't not enjoyed. Anymore. I haven't enjoyed it in the past year. Until I the past weekend, I have not really allowed myself to laugh the way I want to laugh, and um see something that is I'm completely unbiased about comedy. I'm like, going to be honest with you. I'll tell you. Uh, oh, sorry. You go first. If you want. I was just going to say, it's like, uh, I, when I first moved to New York, I remember having this distinct feeling where like, um, somebody from like my home scene would move up six months after me. And back in the home scene, they were like a joke, like open mic or never got booked mm-hmm. on anything. And then they would come up here and they'd be like booked on shit. And I'd be like, wait, 
what's going on here? Uh, was my home scene not a good arbitrator or uh, judge of who's funny? But I also didn't think they were funny. And I would be like, New York's weird because like there's something happening inside of it. And I still kind of feel this way, honestly, because of the business nature of everything and all the networking and like getting trying to get ahead. Like there's a lot of shows where no one's actually watching the show. There's like a show happening, but so much of what's happening in the room is other stuff that goes into whether you get booked or not, whether you talk to the right person or whatever, the booker just likes you at the hang afterwards or whatever, that there's this, it kind of bums you out as a comic where you're like, Oh, this isn't about like skill at all. I had the same, um, kind of experience as like a bartender because like i my plan when i moved up here is i'm gonna get really good at bartending that way i can get a really good job that'll pay the bills when i get up here and there's yeah, very like few... that movie cocktails with tom cruise yeah i was gonna do cocktail <laughs> dreams uh but i i did that and then i moved here and like i was like oh everyone just moves here and then just lies on their resume and gets a job this stuff that i'm like operating on this like meritocratic shit isn't real and so it it like turns upside down your impression of uh, what we're even doing and it causes different results to come out of people so like people design their acts differently and like you know there's some parts of that that are just inevitable like New York's all short sets so like everyone's doing quicker jokes and stuff like that and sometimes it makes people tighter yeah. but sometimes you get outside of the city and you do see something where you're like oh this this person's act is a product of an entirely different scene and process ecosystem yeah and some of them are a lot funnier because they're not like wasting all their time thinking about you know even even people that are really good at comedy in new york they're like um the same comic like because we're all trying to get on like late night or whatever so we're all doing the same sets with the same like oh there's like 10 jokes within like a five minute set i don't think you are there's definitely a bunch of you who are fucking copies of each other but you're not all like yeah, no, I, sure, but I think you know, both, obviously not. You know, I I would say like again, that is a problem of the sheer number of comics that there are here, and the fact that like a lot move in their first five years here, so then they're going through the same learning process where they're going through all the same green jokes about like what they look like and their roommates and you know like all the fucking shit, but. Um, well, to tie this back to Austin yeah. real quick, I I fucking used to think like Austin and Denver had the best comedy scenes in the country but they had no industry and it was like kind of because they had no industry they had people that were more yeah. creative and they were just doing comedy but the tragic part of it is that people sometimes will do that forever think it's going to lead somewhere and it's like no you need to move to an industry city if you want to do that as a career but yeah. like what happened though with like austin is that industry moved down there and it turned it into this New York thing I'm talking about where everyone's like doing comedy kind of badly because they're doing it for this other purpose. And it really ruined like the party in Austin, I think. Cause it, you know, Austin used to be a lot of fun because at the end of the day, it was like, yeah, nothing's going to happen. Let's just get fucking drunk, totally. you know? And which is why I think a story is probably really fun. <laughs> story shows are probably really fun. <laughs> story shows are really, probably uh, nothing is happening up there. <laughs> yeah. yeah story shows that yeah. were hard to promote. Because yeah. the most successful story, uh, show I had in the story was actually a storytelling show that mm. uh, Mike Feeney and I ran together at a coffee shop. Wow, that's um, an ex- interesting mix. I like that. Yeah, it was good. I, I suck at storytelling. I learned that uh, very quickly. But it, we always had like a packed room. And the only reason why we stopped doing it is because uh, they wanted to like add like coffee breaks during the show. And oh, we're, my like, God. Like, 
people are already there for the coffee and it, it got weird it got weird so um yeah. the story shows were really hard to get an audience like i yeah. okay we're we're not cool anymore i unfollowed her but chrissy Meir and i used to run a show at the <laughs> in long island yeah. city right which was yeah. by the museum right yeah, and it was yeah. so hard to get an audience there. Like, yeah. the restaurant was always dead, so it was even sadder because we're, like, ate out at the restaurant bar. Yeah. No one's in the showroom. And it's, like, the, you know, the restaurant from The Shining and shit. Yeah. And just like, well, this is where my career is at. It was just, <laughs> a story of shows are hard. Yeah, story of shows are hard, probably. I mean, uh, I was going to say, like, I agree, Jake, with what you're saying about uh, – the industry starting to move to Austin, at least. I don't know that that's happening in Denver, but I think you skipped a, a thing, which is like, I'm going to take this opportunity to blame comics <laughs> because, which is rare. You know, I always blame industry, but um, both Denver and Austin include people who did succeed in the industry traditional paths at a certain point, And then either stopped succeeding or plateaued or didn't like what they were doing when they were succeeding. So they moved back to Denver or Austin. And then because these bigger names that had already gotten some attention went back to those places or for the first time in the case of Joe Rogan and shit like that, then they garnered attention from industry to these cities And meanwhile, the cities are being wrecked, not directly by the presence of industry, but by the presence of niche audiences of people who fell out from industry favor. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like a little bit like industry is chasing industry. Industry is always just chasing wherever the popularity is. That's all they care about. Well, that's another big problem with comedy right now. So I know a lot yeah. of people in Austin and like, honestly to kick back on something you were saying earlier, there are multiple scenes in Austin. Like the, I, I started there yeah. when there was 10 people. And then after like, I lived there for are there seven, seven years. Yeah, no, there's fucking more. And like, uh, more there, there used to just be one club and then it grew into, okay. Oh, there's kind of an alt scene over the years. And then now okay. with me and my friends that were like the alt scene there are what happened over COVID is all those they've stayed inside because they're fucking people with souls and then the people that came and established all these weird like satellite Ah, shows that are trying to get on rogan and stuff are weird carpetbaggers from other parts of the country Mm -hmm. but also there's like an entire just toxic edgelord open mic scene that's run out of this one bar called mr tramps and like we all make fun of it all of the you know by probably an asshole for saying this but like real yeah. comics that are from that city or whatever we have a great time making fun of these fucking freaks that hang out at this place that are just like a proto version of you know yeah. i mean they were they almost it was like a mecca thing for, like they summoned rogan or something somehow yeah and all of those people now if you build it he will come when i talk to my friends who we used to run shows that were a fucking party and that were at cool bars and stuff like yeah. that they're all like, oh, well, I stayed inside for a year and I came out and like pretty much this other scene that had been a joke forever <laughs> is now taken yeah. over everything. And it's changed everything it from the ashes because that scene is not a fucking party. That scene is all people no, that you're are right. delusionally chasing this thing. I mean, they all like I follow these people on Facebook for fun because I'm crazy and I like to watch people insane on the internet and get involved in it. But like, they're all like angry about the Pang Dang thing and shit. It's like, yeah, there's like another Asian guy down there that's really mad about Pang Dang. And he's like, no, 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 oh you can call God. me slurs, Joe Rogan. And it's just like fucking oh, pathetic. No. You know? 
Oh my god. <laughs> so god, everyone's losing their damn mind. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. what the fuck? Oh, that's so insane. I don't know. We're in like the, the apocalypse, and when you see a good set, like Brandon was talking about, it's like seeing a flower growing in the fucking wasteland. Like, no, it could still happen. Yes. You know. And while the majority of comedians just seem like the crazy half-naked guy wearing diapers and holding up a sign about how the apocalypse is coming. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, no, we all know, guy. <laughs> you are the one that seems to be very behind and very affected by the news. <laughs> yeah, I know. Try oh, to, God, because everybody to... be like, oh, we're getting canceled. No, yeah, no. The rest of us have all experienced uh, consequences to our words and actions. <laughs> I don't understand what why you're all acting like the sky is falling. Uh Oh, God. But all that said, I hope uh, Drunk Black History goes great this month. Uh, are you actually doing like a themed? Are you trying to cross over the Halloween and the Black History and the Drunk theme? Is this a three-way uh, sort of. yeah, sort diagram? Of. It's sort of. It's going to be actually a little bit more like traditional than our one last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have something really interesting that I'm hoping is going to hit that we, we're doing during the show. I can't talk about it because <laughs> you have to be there. Yeah. But I think it's going to be really funny. Like when I talk to Gordon and the person involved, they're like, yeah. oh, this is going to be fucking crazy. And I'm it's like, exciting. okay, cool, cool. Um, you guys always put on good shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if you're in New York City, definitely go. Caveat's a great venue. Mike and Brandon are great hosts. You'll have a good time. Uh, Brandon, I mean, does anybody else have anything else? I was going to go into plugs. Mm. Is that too premature of me? Um, I'm chilling. I could. Yeah, we could round out. Yeah. I mean, because we can still talk about Alec Baldwin shooting people and also Dave Chappelle defending, no, getting mad at another a corporation. Well, since we got a guest, I'm going to defer to him. Do you have anything you want to go off about? Yeah. What do you want to go off about? This is, are you mad about I mean, anything? Dan? I already kind of went off about what, <laughs> what I'm frustrated with. You know, like uh, I'm frustrated with people that think they know how the business works when clearly we're in uncharted territories. Yeah. Like one of my, the things I hated most about like, you know, going to open mics would be hearing like these older comics talk to the newbie and be like, yeah, what you got to do is do these bringer shows and then you got to meet this person <laughs> and that person. I'm like, Shut read the, the room. Up. We're all in the <laughs> yeah. same place. Like, yeah. It was like when I would be an extra in a movie and one of all the, the roads led here like, to hey, this bar. Yeah, All the, the, the one extra is trying to talk about their acting method. I'm like, we're all fucking extras. We don't have to do anything. Like, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? And so that's how I feel about the, the New York stand up scene right now. I feel like everyone's trying to be braggadocious, but it's like, what, what are you talking about? We're all in the same place. We're at the Dude, same moment. Too. It doesn't that's fucking so matter. so funny. Yeah. Can I tell you? Um, uh, so. I've also talked to producers, right? And there's a couple of uh, producers who have been doing shows for a lot, a lot of years. And their whole thing is like, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't care. I think I'm out. (laughs) And they keep doing shows, even though they're just like, this seems bad. And maybe I don't give a shit about this anymore. And then there's like still some young bloods who are like producing the shit out of like, they got like four or five shows a week. And they're like really into this shit. And I'm just like, oh, that's so cute. I guess do it up. <laughs> My God, I don't know. I don't know. But there had to be people that looked at me like that when I was fucking started. I know there's a lot of, well, th- this is the thing as a producer. It's like, it's, it's never going to end well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's almost like Christopher Montesanti. Like, you know, like, you maybe like the character, but you're like, he's going to definitely die. Very um, useful, but you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's like, no matter what comics will turn on you, as a producer, like you'll be a darling, you'll be like the best place or have the best show that they want to go be a part of. 
And then you do something where they're like, fuck you. And you're like, but you told me how great I was, how much of an impact I had. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a thankless job. It's a thankless Especially if you're not a comic yourself producing shows. Because I'm not getting anything out of it. Right. Exactly. I'm not getting stage time. I can't fucking spot trade. Can't do anything with this. But you're a fan of comedy. So like, it like soured you almost in like going behind the curtain and then you're like, oh, but I love comedy, but you are terrible people. Like, this is. <sighs> but you know what? Honestly, okay. I don't think that comics are terrible people. I really don't. I think that, you know, some of you are, <laughs> but I don't think in general, <laughs> as, a, as a vocation, it's full of terrible people. Yeah. I think the industry is terrible. It's literally the most commercialized art I've ever observed in my life. Like, Artists, uh, sorry, painters, sculptors, writers, they kind of exist not in such a fucking magnified, like magnifying glass, sort of like paycheck to paycheck situation. I think like people who want to be writers accept that they're going to be working a nine to five more than a comic does because they uh, a novel takes years and shit like that. You know what I mean? Uh, painters also, it takes months to finish a painting. Sculptures take years. But artists are, I think, more under, I mean, I'm sorry, comics are more under this pressure to like monetize their every performance and their every late night out and their every thought and every word. And it ultimately constantly puts you all in a position where you have to make a choice that is going to be like a fork in the road every single time. Like, are you choosing yourself or are you choosing profit? Are you choosing yourself or are you choosing external approval? Are you choosing yourself or are you choosing going along with the crowd? So I don't think that they're evil. I think that it's capitalism and the business and like all these things that just frames everything really badly. And that's why the majority of the time I blame industry and not comics, but also you're not faultless because they are still your choices that you're making. You know what I mean? Do you think it's lawful evil? (laughs) (laughs) i think it's lawful evil exactly that is exactly what it is because you're playing the game as the rules dictate it it happens to be that the rules are evil yeah shit's chestnut checkers yeah man um but so to give another positive you know i'm really not like in a bad mood i don't uh my depression is very well medicated so i'm not worried about uh seasonal depression so i want to make sure this ends on a positive note for everybody who might be suffering of an impending seasonal depression uh in new york city at least some shows that still give me thrills uh is cobra club uh what is it called um, live from outer space something out of space yeah live from outer space that's my favorite show in new york <laughs> Um, well, it's like two blocks from your house, so that's why you fucking love it. Yeah. <laughs> What's not to love? You get drunk at the show? It is so far from my house. I have to pay like a fucking $25 lift every time I go there or come back, I guess. Uh, even though on the map, it's literally like 0.75 of an inch. Well, Three someone needs to fucking build the great north. Build me a train north that is directly south from Brooklyn. Cobra Club to my house. <laughs> Z train, the last train that'll ever get built in New York will go from North Brooklyn to South Brooklyn, finally uniting the two kingdoms. Finally uniting us. Exactly. For people outside of New York, you don't understand. We have the L train, which goes in in North Brooklyn from West Brooklyn to East Brooklyn. And then we have the A train, which goes from West Middle Brooklyn to 
East Middle Brooklyn. But that means Middle Brooklyn and Top Brooklyn, we're never united. We have to take a bus to see each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's Game of Thrones. We're playing <clears throat> kingdoms. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was smoking weed during the podcast. Prophecy will out. be fulfilled someday <laughs> that connects everything back together and then we stop fighting each other. Yeah, but, you know, besides the fact that it's close to Jake's house and that we're both often there drunk, um, it is a show that existed pre-pandemic and that is run by some comics that are all in different parts of their career or, like, places in their career and that have very different styles and different networks, some which are even toxic, Micah, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's always a good lineup. Shut up. I make fun of her. She totally called me. We, we, we have direct engagements and interactions about she her. She knows opinions. she's a, like a little evil. It's funny. It's what's yeah, funny she knows her. she's chaotic evil. Yeah, she's great. I love Micah Fox, everybody. Um, so despite the fact that she keeps terrible company most of the time, um, <laughs> but because of that, they have like um, different networks in comedy. You know what I mean? So they do the thing that I like, which is they don't book within clicks. Uh, their lineups are very varied in terms of being from different areas of New York comedy, I guess, or even visiting comics. And then the hang after is very fun because there's a lot of comics who live in Bushwick. So they come after their shows wherever the fuck they were at. And then there's always someone, you know, if you're like into comedy or whatever. So I love that. Funhouse, I would also recommend, um, even though, you know, I'm biased. I'm having sex with one of the hosts. But <laughs> it is really good because this is also another show that existed before the pandemic. And, yeah, um, huh? It's a fun show, yeah. It's a fun show, right? And yeah, it's you have one sex with the host sometimes, depending on who you are. Sometimes you can have sex with the host. Yes, I didn't true. get that perk, but yeah, I'm sorry, you time, didn't. So. You didn't use the magic word. Um, but they have like a local. It's in Williamsburg, so it's another neighborhood, right? Than the previous one that I said, and they have a very uh, loyal, regular audience from that neighborhood. And then a lot of comics also drop by if they live in the area or it's on their way home from wherever their other fucking spots were. Um, yeah, I guess I'll leave it at that. Two of those. Any shows that you guys want to plug that are not your shows? Is that weird? <laughs> Is that a thing we do now? I don't know. You don't have to do it, I guess. I haven't um, seen one. In New York, I haven't seen one. No? Yeah, I, I've gone to a few to support my friends and like see what they're working with. Yeah, yeah. And it could be, you know what it is? It's always the host goes way too long and they know that they're bombing and, and walking the room and they just keep going. You're like, oh, that's you don't care worst. about the quality of the show. You just want to. That's my biggest pet peeve. And so that's why I'm like, oh, yeah, this show sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's my yeah. biggest pet peeve. And I want to say uh, the fact that Brandon said that, that's why you should trust and go to one of his shows, because even though he's a comic, when he's the producer, he puts producing his show ahead of his needs as a comic. And that's the way that it needs to be. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of comics do production only as a way to get more stage time for themselves. So they milk it as much as possible and don't realize or don't care that they're creating a negative experience for everybody that's coming to see them. I blame <laughs> and everybody Hannibal. was performing on their show. <laughs> yeah, I blame Hannibal for the New York version. Totally, of me too. Everyone thought because he did it at Knitting Factory and that they could do like, it too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. I agree. It's totally Hannibal's fault. Hannibal, email me if you disagree. Somebody's telling me. I don't care. Uh, it's like the hubris, though. It's like this dude is drawing like a room in Gowan, like deep in Brooklyn. Yeah. With a hundred something people in like this really weirdly placed place. You know, bar. like I could do that, too. Yeah, exactly. You're like you got the fucking shitty room in the old man hustle in Lower East Side. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do an hour set. Nice. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I think what they see there is that they they see the story backwards. Like, they think, oh, he started with no one in here, and then he's so good at this that a bunch of people showed up over the years. So all do the same thing. But it's like, he probably wasn't doing an hour up top every night when there was no one there. Or that's not even how that happened. He got famous because he was on TV and shit. And then he got the show, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Uh, Exactly. But you know what? Uh, great comics. everything you have heard tonight we love stand-up comedy <laughs> yeah great comics ruin comedy whenever they may have a huge breakthrough thing that's cool so don't imitate comics because it never works out well don't get inspired by another person look within <laughs> you know just keep your own sad dreams to yourself <laughs> and just come be a guest at our show um i have casual sets tomorrow you're probably hearing this tonight or in the morning so if you're in new york city on thursday the 28th 8 p.m at friends and lovers it's ten dollar show there's some libs there's some not libs there's some leftists <laughs> no right-wing people but i got some libs so you know look at me being politically diverse um they're everywhere and they think that they're us so they're you know i know exactly so i'm inviting them over so they can just see the difference um <laughs> and brandon show is saturday correct no it's friday it's friday. friday night 10 okay. p.m eastern daylight time it's gonna go into saturday probably are you guys um, gonna stream party. it yeah, we're going to be live streaming and also awesome. so uh, tickets are available at drunkblackhistory.com. Beautiful. Nice. Drunkblackhistory.com. Go check it out. They have good guests always and it's a fun, fun show. Jake, what do you want to plug? Uh, if you're in Gainesville, Florida this weekend, I'm at Fest, the punk festival. Um, there's a comedy stage, a bunch of cool comics playing. And a bunch of cool bands. Uh, I think I'm up Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday, I'll be in Jacksonville, Florida. Me and Anya Volts and a couple other people. Uh, some locals, Brian Ziola. And I, after that, I'll be back in New York. And never talk to me uh, if you see me in the street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, also write us emails for next week is our next mailbag. Uh, also, you know, for, for Patreon subscribers only. Now, I guess also anybody who wants to email Email us. We'll take suggestions for stuff to watch and things to talk about. So write us at whyyoumadpod at gmail.com. I'm just kidding. You can talk to me. I'm very nice. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, just kidding. You can email us. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. I don't know why I did Dr. Nick.